G'day Sports by Fry fans, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Sports by Fry podcast and YouTube channel. I am back after a hiatus in round five. Uh, my eye is finally healed so I can uh, put myself in front of the camera and I'm, I'll be honest, I'm in a pretty good mood after a solid round six. The large fries and coke are starting to climb up the rankings. Of course, if you haven't caught on, I'm talking everything AFL fantasy in this video once again. Big couple of weeks behind us now. We had a Huge 18 games over about 11 days stretch, and there was the one Tuesday we had off between Easter and Anzac Day, so pretty crazy couple of weeks, but it's finally behind us, and the next couple of weeks before the buyers, the next month to six weeks, is going to be very telling for a lot of coaches. There's very important moves on the horizon, plenty to talk about, so without further ado, let me dive into the round six wrap-up. So first things first, I want to go over my team. Now I scored 22-03, pretty good score, especially considering a lot of coaches were struggling with an injury to a certain uh, key backman that I'm going to talk about a bit later, but my defense performed pretty admirably. Shout out to the guys like Zach Williams and Brody Smith, who I was just about ready to axe and look for upgrades, but they've pieced it together over the last couple of weeks and honestly look like they may as well sit in my side until they start doing something wrong. Of course... Now I've talked it into existence, so I'll have to move one or both of them on next week. But Williams scored an 80, which was good to see. Brody Smith, I think he top scored for the Crows with 108, so I was happy with that. Rory Laird delivered on debut with a ton, and even though Jake Lloyd was tagged, he did pretty good. Probably the only hiccup I had in my team this week was fielding Sydney Stack over Scrimshaw, and wasn't the smartest move considering the Hawks were going up against Carlton, but I thought Stack would be good, and his 54 was fine, and Marty Hall came back a little bit to earth with the 68, so defense was fine, could have been a little better, but I'm not going to get too greedy. Into the midfield we go, and special shout out to Timmy Taranto, who had a massive 130. I'll be honest, about halfway through the second quarter, I was all ready to trade him, and I was looking for other options, but... Boy, did he deliver. He came up with a top score for the Giants and was fantastic to see. Probably will sit in my side for the majority of the year now. I know that I just kind of uh, threw him under the bus and said I was going to trade him, but he backs up these 80s and these subpar scores with a 110, 115 plus. So I'm going to hold on to him for now. The top four midfielders I've got continue to fluctuate. Although, uh, I did consider the idea of moving on someone like Matty Crouch or Angus Brayshaw and chasing a bigger scorer, but I'll be honest, they're averaging 105, 110 around that mark, so I'm probably getting a little too greedy. Around the buys is where I might look to utilise some moves and get someone like McRae, Trelaw, Gath as well as someone I'm really keen on. But yeah, they're, they're getting it done. Cripper was just one point off 100, and with the exception of that, everyone topped 100, including Rocky, so I'll be happy with that. As long as they keep those types of scores up, it all balances out in the end. Uh, the rookies on my ground, I was very lucky that Ross decided to deliver on Wednesday night. I traded him in and rolled the dice by fielding him before full lockout, and he went to town against the Ds with a 92, so I was pretty stoked with that. Constable was happy to have him back in the side, and Sammy Walsh looked like a rookie for the first time in his career, but he's going to have these type of scores. We can't go expecting too much every week from him. I ended up using Brody Grundy's 123 with the vice captain loophole, which he's going to become, uh, captain selection is going to become a huge factor moving forward now that his Thursday night games are over until about around 13 from memory. So banked his score, which was great. Jared Witts didn't look like he was tracking for a great score, but delivered in the second half of his game and got to 99, so I was happy with that. 
hopefully I can keep using these two up until the buys. And honestly, I don't know if I want to go chasing Max Gorn right now. I can't complain with the way that Wits is playing. I do, now that the loophole is in an effect, want to look at getting rid of one of these bench rucks and maybe bringing in Archie Smith when he's named and start generating cash in another line. That's something that I'm eyeing for sure. And into the forwards, things went pretty well for the forwards. Dangerfield delivered was great. Tim Kelly had a solid score. The two 80s from Billings and Warple, I you know, obviously would have wanted more, but I'll take it. It's not terrible. And Grian Myers is quickly uh, becoming a, a fan favourite in Geelong, and he's becoming a fantasy favourite of mine. He scored a 90 on the weekend, which was fantastic to see. Jucked it up late in the game, which was great. Drew's 60 was a little bit of a letdown, but hopefully, with Robbie Garay injuring himself, he can get a little bit more game time. He spent, I watched a lot of the Port North game and Drew seemed to spend the last four minutes of every quarter about that on the pine. So hopefully you can get more time on ground and boost his score. Someone that I'm starting to look at axing though. So not too bad from the large Horizon Coke. Probably a double downgrade on the horizon because the rest of my team looks pretty solid. But uh, yeah, still I know lots of work to be done. Rightio, into the favourite fives we go and... I hate to just use the top scorer of the round as the favourite five, and I did come pretty close to giving Dangerfield, spoiler alert, he's the plus four, uh, the plus five, but I couldn't ignore Scott Pendlebury's masterclass on Anzac Day. He always steps up when the stakes are at the highest and had a mammoth 148, did Pendles. I don't know the exact number of years, but he's put up an average of 100 for about, I want to say, 11 straight seasons. He's fantastic. Mr. Consistent is Scott Pendlebury. Even as a Frio fan, he's arguably my favourite player in the competition. So I wouldn't go trading him in, though. In Classic, he does tend to throw up an 80, but is usually a safe 100. Doesn't offer this huge ceiling like he did on Anzac Day, though, very often. Like I said, Danger gets the plus four, had a massive second half. He was on 42 at halftime, and there are a couple of coaches out there sweating, including yours truly, but nearly scored 100 points in the second half and had a whopping 55 in the last quarter, so it was great to see. Patrick Dangerfield just reminding Travis Boak that uh, he is the number one forward at the moment and the guy to catch. Plus three goes to a bit of a unique guy and someone that we need to keep our eye on, and that is Braden Fiorini from the Suns. Now, he is obviously going to be a fantasy star in the future, but I don't know how he's going to go and keep these big scores up this season. I mean, going off what he's put up so far, I can't really uh, knock the dude. He had 137 on the weekend, looked fantastic, gathered a ton of the footy, but I do wonder with just 30 games of footy under his belt if he's going to drop a 50 or a 60 on us and really plummet his average soon, but... If he keeps putting up these 110, 120-plus scores, then he's going to look like a top-eight midfielder and someone that we need to keep an eye on. Plus two, a little bit uh, out of the mainstream area. Gave it to Liam Shields after his massive score. In a comeback game, to have 26 or 7 touches and kick three goals with a couple of marks and tackles, then can't really ask for much more. Arguably, won the game for the Hawks. Was probably the best on ground. Uh, 145 he dropped. I wouldn't go chasing him in Classic, but I'll talk, again, talk about him again a little bit later for draft. Another draft bloke, relevant uh, this week at least, is Tom Hickey, who got the plus one after his 141. I know, shocked me as well. I did want to include a couple of fantasy relevant guys in there, but anytime you drop a 140, you've got to get some recognition in the favourite five. And Hickey had the game of his life against the Cats with... Nathan Barty left out of the team and then rolling with the sole ruck. He had 30-odd hitouts, which was great, but 
25 touches, 7 tackles, 5 marks, something like that, and 140 was awesome from Hickey. Could also be a sneaky draft play. I hate to start the frustrating five this way because I don't usually put dudes who are injured in there, but Lockie Whitfield's cork is arguably the talking point in the fantasy world right now. We don't know if, yet if he's going to play in round seven. Leon Cameron said that he's going to give him every chance to get up for the game. I can't remember who they're facing, actually. I want to say Richmond. St. Kilda. St. Kilda? I'm guessing. I don't know. I think it's St. Kilda. But anyway, Whitfield's opponent might not matter because he might not even get up because that corky held him to just nine points in the second half. One disposal and a goal was all he had. Played pretty much as a full forward. Dropped a donut in the last quarter. So not great news for Lockie Whitfield owners. He only scored 39 and he's now got a huge break even. I'll talk a little bit about what you should do with him in the trade tactics. And it does feel a little bit dirty giving him the negative five considering he was injured, but there's a lot of coaches that were counting on a big score and he didn't deliver. Another popular owned bloke who failed to fire and gets the negative four is Tom Libertore, 57 he had on the weekend after three straight tons in rounds two, three, and four. He's come back to earth a little bit recently and he's kind of plateaued in price, which is a bit frustrating because those that took the punt were hoping that he could shoot up into the middle 650 mark and maybe then provide to be a stepping stone to an Uber premium. But yeah, he's plateaued just under 600 grand, which is a shame. He's now got to break even in the triple figures and the way he's playing, there's no reason why he might not be rested soon by the Bulldogs. Another popular guy who, again, failed and is starting to look like a must-trade is Dom Sheed. Andrew Gaff in the side is really hampering his numbers. We saw him chalk up 40 touches with ease in the preseason and from memory in the first round or two. But yeah, Dom Sheed definitely needs to be considered as a trade-out candidate. Dropped a 60, he's sitting at 600 grand, so his price hasn't dropped a hell of a lot yet. So while it's still sitting at that mark, I would definitely look to move him on if I was an owner. There are a handful of coaches who decided to trade in Brad Shepard this week. About one and a half thousand of them took the punt. It was someone that I was considering as well, and lucky I didn't, because he responded with a 46. Now, he was averaging nearly 100 in the lead up to that. It's a bit unfair to throw him under the bus after one bad game, especially considering the fact that Geelong pounded the Eagles, but wasn't what people expected trading in Brad Shepard, who looks like a smoky chance for top six defender, and if he's going to do that, then he's going to need to rebound pretty strongly against the Suns this week. The last dude is a prime example of why we don't get sucked into one good score. The neg one goes to Dustin Martin after his 68 on Wednesday night against the Dees, which feels like an eternity ago, but... Dusty dropped 110 the week before that, and it's the only score from memory that he had over 85 this year, so there was plenty of track record and uh, scores to suggest that a bad score was on the horizon, and yeah, those that brought him in were tempted by the new dual positioning and brought him into their forward lines, probably are kicking themselves a bit now. Hopefully, he can get his average back up towards the 85 and 90 mark, but it's going to take a lot of work. Let's discuss some trade tactics now. Bungahern is someone on a lot of coaches' radars, especially if you're a lucky Whitfield owner, or should be. Actually, let me take that back. He probably isn't on a lot of coaches' radars, but he definitely deserves to be. He's almost priced at 700 grand and is one of just five defenders averaging a ton for the season and loves to get those cheap plus sixes in the Eagles' backline, takes a lot of their kick-ins, and he's someone that really needs to be on our radar. Probably shapes up as a good unique at this stage, but I would definitely consider Bunger if you're looking for a Whitfield trade target 
target. You could consider someone like Jason Johannesson or, in my mind, Basha Hooley is another one right for the picking. He's about 100 grand less than Hearn. His health and injury concern is a bit of a worry, but so it comes with a bit of a risk taking a chance on Basha, but... He chalked up, I want to say, a dozen marks, maybe even more, against Melbourne last round. And with a 125, there weren't many coaches out there that had him in their sides, but he's a target and should be on your radar moving forward. In the midfield, a few dudes. I've already talked a little bit about Braden Fiorini as a point of difference, a low-ownership type player. But Dylan Shield is someone else who falls in that mould. Doesn't have the greatest scoring pedigree from a fantasy perspective, but he's putting up numbers as a Don this year. And... He's in about 3 3.5% of teams, so he's someone that we should keep an eye on. If you're struggling in your ruck department as well, Shane Mumford has shown that he is definitely someone we can consider. If you don't own the big three of Gorn, Grundy, and Wits, that's right, I'm including Wits in the big three, then you might want to look at moving your other ruckman, or fingers crossed, hopefully not, you don't have uh, at least have one of those three, but if you don't, then you might want to look at getting a Shane Mumford. Just a price that a tick over five hundred grand. He is someone that you should consider, and he's definitely got room to grow and move forward. Hopefully, around the buys, you can upgrade him into Grundy or Gorn, or maybe even Wits if he keeps up his hot form. If you miss the boat on Jack Ross, then. It's probably a little bit too late to trade him in. I know that he's priced around 320 grand, which is a little bit too much for a rookie, but someone you can still snap up is Will Hayes from the Dogs. He's priced under 250k, so again, you don't want to miss out on too many of these cash cows, and this might be the last week you can snag him, maybe by moving on someone who I'll talk about some of the rookies that have cashed out, uh, topped out in cash price anyway. But Will has showed enough against the Dockers to probably hold his spot back-to-back 70s, and he's someone that I'm a big fan of, obviously. There were two debutantes this round in Noah Ainsworth and Josh Corbett, who are in two very different positions. Noah Ainsworth kind of overachieved and surprised me anyway by scoring a 75. Hopefully can keep his spot and will stay in a lot of fantasy teams if he does. Looks as a good downgrade target in your back line or in your midfield with his DPP. But Josh Corbett, the big son, I think I'm saying that right, I don't know. He is someone that I've definitely got my eye on. He only scored 33 on the weekend, but in his couple of Neafel games he played, he did show that he loves to take a mark. Got the West Coast Eagles on this weekend on the big, vast uh, Optus Stadium, so it'll be interesting to see. The supply that the Suns gave him wasn't great, so that kind of hampered his score a bit, but hopefully he can run around and get a couple of marks and kicks and boost his score back over 50. I know it's not great, but he could be someone that we keep on our benches to generate a bit of money moving forward. Maybe a Matthew Parker downgrade option. Nick Larkey is the other bloke who... I'm not 100% sold on. I know that he had a great game against Port Adelaide, kicked three goals for his 80-odd, but yeah, I'm not 100% convinced that he's going to be a good option moving forward. He and Corbett are probably two dudes that I wouldn't go fielding, but not terrible downgrade options. I might, I could be really wrong on this uh, Nick Larkey uh, analysis, but he has had two games previously where he scored a 2 and a 21. He might have been hurt in, that two, in the game he scored 2, but... Yeah, it doesn't have the highest fantasy pedigree. And as we know, these big key position guys aren't great at scoring usually. So for that reason, I'd probably, if you could, avoid both of them. But I do like Corbett over uh, Larky at this stage. All right, let's address this Lockie Whitfield situation. Now, as a non-owner, I'm looking forward to when he's going to be maybe 50 to 100 grand cheaper in a couple of weeks. But if you do have him in your side, there's probably a trade-out at this stage. Again, there's no guarantee he's going to play. He's got a break-even of 173. And even though we've seen him 
get pretty close to that this year. I don't think, you know, if you've just copped the cork, I don't think you'll be scoring huge tons in the immediate future. Might be a wise idea to downgrade him, and it could help you turn another rookie into a mid-priced premium. You could maybe get Drew out of your forward line or someone like that and get a Heaney type. You could maybe get rid of Marty Hoare and get to someone like Johannesson and Basha Hooley, but depends a bit on your personal structure. Again, he's not a must-trade by any means. If he doesn't play next week, I think the wise move is to trade him. There's no guarantees he'll be back straight after that anyway, but... Yeah, it's a tricky one. If I was an owner, though, I'd probably move him on. The same can be said for Devin Smith, who had an injury concern of his own, only managed a 40 on the weekend, and from memory sat out probably the last third of the Anzac Day clash. So priced at around 650, you can still do some stuff with him, move him on and maybe get another decent forward in return, but he's not delivering right now, so it's probably a wise move to trade him out. As I alluded to, there are a few rookies and cash cows that you can get rid of. I'll address all the relevant rookie and cash cow stuff in my Dream Team talk piece that'll go out on Wednesday. But at this stage, I think it's wise to start to move some of the guys on, especially with some of the rookies I've already mentioned as good downgrade targets. Uh, the guys that you probably want to move out immediately or at the top priority is someone like Matthew Parker in your forward line, maybe even Jack Petricelli. If you do have Zach Butters in your forward line, he's someone I'd look to move on as well. Maybe even if he was in your midfield. Similar with Timmy Atkins and Michael Gibbons, their time's almost come, and I could see a rest on the horizon for one of them, if not both of them. And down back, I think Sam Collins is pretty close to maxing out, if not already, at about 330k. So he's another dude, personally, someone that I'll look to trade out this week, and you should probably consider if you're an owner as well. Okie dokie, some waiver wire moves to consider. I personally, if uh, he was sitting on my waiver wire, would really look long and hard at bringing in Liam Shields. He does have an ownership around 53%, so chances are he's not in your league. But if you are in a team, oh, a 10-team league maybe, 8-team league, he's probably sitting there, so you can go ahead and snap him up, especially if the people in your league are uh, asleep at the wheel and haven't brought him back after his injury. Someone else to consider who is in the only about 40% of teams, so he might be available in your league, is Charlie Constable. Returned to action and had a pretty good score and looks like, I don't want to jinx it, but a safe 80 moving forward. The hot waiver wire target this week for me is Sam Petreski-Seaton, who arguably is in career form. He scored another 90 on the weekend, is in 50, 54% of teams, so could look to bring him into your forward line. We'll probably get midfield status later in the year as well. If you don't have him and you're looking for some forward depth, Joey Danaher, again, someone that's coming back from injury and is building pretty nicely. He's in my team and in one of my draft leagues anyway, because someone that you should look long and hard at. Down back, I was kind of surprised to find that Brandon Ellis had a low-ish ownership, under 70% anyway, so if he is on your waiver wire, that's someone that you can take a punt on. Will probably be a pretty reliable starter moving forward. And if you need a little bit of depth, Nick Hayes from the Suns, Suns from the Giants has pieced together a couple of good games, had 100 on the weekend, is in about 30% aside, so he's someone that I would look at bringing in if you have an injury in your back line or you need a bit of depth. And finally, the Ruck scrap heat doesn't offer a lot, but you can do a lot worse by bringing in Tom Hickey, especially if Nathan Vardy doesn't come back into the side and they choose to just play Hickey as a sole Ruck. Going up against the Suns this week with Wits and Peter Wright tends to take a couple of the hitouts. I would think Vardy comes back in, but if he doesn't, address the uh, Hickey situation. Rightio, a double downgrade is on the horizon for me this week. I'm not sure yet if I'm going to get rid of Parker or Petrocelli. 
again, it'll depend a little bit on team selection. I do think that Parker has safer job security, and I know it's only round six, but I'm starting to think about guys who can, at worst, get me a 50 during the buys. So that's another reason I might not part with Sam Collins. He's someone else on the block. Probably will, though. It's time for those cash cows to go. I don't want to get too fancy and hold on to them and then start to lose value. Uh, the Larky Corbett situation is one that I'll honestly have to flip a coin over, I think, at this stage. And down back, I'll probably bring in Noah Ainsworth, who, like I said, overachieved in my eyes, but should be a good cash cow at least for the next fortnight to month. And that is all for the round six wrap-up. Thank you for tuning in. If you are listening via the podcast, make sure you go ahead and download the Sunday sit-down. JLo and I talked a little bit of fantasy yesterday and addressed the NBA playoffs. That's a good listen. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and listen for future episodes. I do pump out a few more podcasts compared to videos, so... Why not listen to both of them, right? Uh, thank you for tuning in, though. Again, you can catch my Cash Cows guide on Wednesday morning. Got a few other pieces in the work. I released my winners and losers from the NFL draft. And probably next week, I'll give a little bit of an insight to the uh, Sports by Fry Fantasy Brownlow. So I've been giving out 3 two, ones for every game so far this season. Maybe in the comment section of the YouTube video, have a guess at who you think is uh, winning the Brownlow at this stage. I tend to... I try to keep it fairly, uh, how would I word it, uh, similar to the Brownlow in that I give the winning teams reward and I don't just go the 3-2-1 based on the three best scores. It's a little bit boring. I try to keep the fantasy relevant guys chalking up some votes. But yeah, it's pretty tight at the top. That's all I'll say. Again, good luck in round seven. Thank you for tuning in. Until next time, peace. Peace.